0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much to Audible for sponsoring today's episode. For those of you who don't know, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, business motivation, and also podcasts. They've recently launched their newest plan called Audible Plus. With Audible Plus, you get full access to their Plus catalog, filled with thousands of select originals, audiobooks, and podcasts, and connects you to just amazing content. The best time to try it is now with their holiday offer, because for only 4 dollars a month for your first six months. This is a fantastic deal. And all you have to do to get it is visit audible.com slash Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, or text Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, to 500-500. Again, visit audible.com slash Zibby or text Zibby to 500-500. 500. I love Audible and listen all the time in my car and on walks. I recently finished Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, also Small Animals by Kim Brooks, His Only Wife by Peace Medi, and also On All Fronts by Clarissa Ward. So those are four of my recent ones. Um, I hope you'll join me in checking out Audible, audible.com slash or text Zibby to 500-500. Did I say that enough times? Emmanuel Acho is the author of the best-selling book, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, which is also a viral video series, which you absolutely must go watch right now. It's amazing. He's also a Fox Sports analyst, co-host of FS1 Speak for Yourself, and as I mentioned, the host and producer of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, The web series is about racism to drive open and uncomfortable dialogue. He earned his undergrad degree in sports management in 2012 and was drafted by the Cleveland Browns. He was a former linebacker who played in the NFL and also played college football and played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Anyway, listen to our conversation. It was amazing. I am such a huge fan of his, and I just adored talking to him. Welcome, Emmanuel. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. (laughs)
1: of course thank you for having me
0: i feel like i should rename it for the night i should call it like very comfortable conversations with a mom how about that
1: That, that's a little more welcoming you could say than uncomfortable conversations with a black man
0: yeah my whole thing is making people feel like they can talk to me and whatever although i have to say that is your thing too the uncomfortable is sort of a misnomer because you make people (laughs) comfortable immediately
1: Yeah, that's the trick. It's like people are like, well, Emmanuel, where's the discomfort? And I'm like, it's not always for you, right? Sometimes I'm the uncomfortable person. Sometimes the listener is the uncomfortable person. And sometimes my guest is. But in more than anything, I try to make people comfortable because that's when you really get the truth out of people. It's so true.
0: I was thinking to myself ahead of time, I was like, ooh, what could I ask him to make him really uncomfortable? (laughs) Anyway, I decided not to do that. We can just, it's fine. So take me back to May, when you decided to start Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, the videos, and when your friend came and you were going to record together and then she bailed on you that morning and the whole thing of how you started it as the video series and then how it transitioned to a book.
1: Yeah, so after the, the murder of George Floyd, Zibi, I was like, what do I do? I have to do something. Okay, I'm a sports analyst, but I'm a Black man before I'm a sports analyst. And before the world acknowledged me as a Black man, I'm a human being. It's my responsibility to positively contribute to society in some way, shape, or form, leave the earth better than it was when I found it, when it found me. And so I said, okay, what am I skilled at? I'm a to a degree gifted orator. I can speak. So I'm gonna do something called questions white people have. Because I grew up with so many white people and I know they have questions. <laughs> I grew up in a affluent neighborhood in Dallas, Texas, went to this affluent white private school. War uniform, all-boys school called St. Mark's School of Texas. So I said, okay, I know my white brothers and sisters have questions and they don't have answers because they've never actually asked the questions. I've just heard the murmurs and the whispers. So great, I'll get three white people together, three black people together. They will sit around the round table, clear fishbowl in the middle of it, and my white brothers and sisters will pull out a question, they'll ask it to the black people at the table, and we'll have a conversation. Problem, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so nobody can travel. Okay, now what do I do? Okay, I'll call one of my white friends who can come down from Dallas to Austin, Texas. Three-hour drive, straight shot, Interstate 35. She said, Emmanuel, if I'm going to be there for you, I have to show up. I said, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. She shows up on Saturday. We're going to record on Sunday. She spends the night in my guest room. We rehearse in front of her mom. I'm in front of her sister, in front of my best friend. We're good to go. An hour and six minutes before call time on Sunday for the first episode of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I come downstairs and she's in my, in my kitchen with tears in her eyes. Like, I just, I can't do it. It's not right. You should do it by yourself. They don't want to see me. They want to see you. Long story short, she had a change of heart. Now I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, I gotta do it myself. I still didn't want to do it myself. Transparency moment. I don't think I've said this. If I have, I haven't said it often. I called another white friend <laughs> last minute. I said, hey, can you just stand in and ask me these questions and I'll answer them. Remember, uncomfortable conversations with a black man, not uncomfortable monologue with the black man. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was just thinking monologue. It was yeah. not supposed to be me talking for nine minutes, 27 seconds. The first episode was also very likely only going to be one episode. If you listen closely, episode one, Welcome to the first of hopefully many episodes. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. So that is how this all came to be. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows. It was kind of ordained. A moment met for me. I wasn't searching it or seeking it out. The man, I guess, met the moment.
0: Wow. That's impressive. And then, so you started doing all the videos. And by the way, like the quality of the videos, this isn't like you were just, you know, propping up an iPhone and doing like, you know, they were like highly produced. When Oprah shows up on episode three or four, whenever she came, I was like, well, of course she's going to show up because it already looks like an Apple TV like set that you're doing this on.
1: So let me interrupt you. Okay. First episode, the producer was my best friend who's an Olympic gold medalist in Rio Olympics 2016. Just a track, a sprinter, Anger the four by 100 meter relay. The videographer was a wedding videographer. I'm not some Emmy award-winning videographer, it's just my friend who's a wedding videographer and his wife. The first episode was shot in an area that I shot my 2018 birthday video. (laughs) I wanted a white psych wall. And I said, wait a second, if we're gonna do this, we gotta do it well. It looks very highly produced, but the reason it looks like that is because it was so simple. Because I paid for it. I paid for the first three episodes out of pocket all myself. And so the first episode, I said, but I said this, I said, people eyes need to be uh, satiated, if that's the right word. They need to be stimulated. You, you, the Content is digested better if it's higher quality. So I said, let me take the $1,500. Let me do this with friends. I mean, these aren't pros it's a track Olympic gold medalist and a wedding videographer and myself. We were the four people in the room for episode one. That was it. Episode two, I got my friend who's an interior designer. And she was our stage manager. <laughs> like, So it was a, a not a family affair, but it was a friendly affair of just me gathering a group of people who wanted to see the world be better and wanted to see the world change. And we all kind of garnered those first 40 million views. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just kind of doing it.
0: You know, there's something almost like... Metaphoric and the fact that it was you against the white background, right? The yep. black man, the white background. You've probably thought of this before, but okay, anyway, thought that was genius of me. Anyway, <laughs> well, first let's go to the content of what you talk about and what you put in the book and all the rest, which, by the way, was so much more than just a continuation of the videos. I mean, this is like a history book. It's like, I was reading it before bed and I was just like, oh, I'm like learning. This is like, I feel like I'm in school again, but also memoir, highly engaging, but just so many facts. So you had to go, you must've had to go research or do you just know all this off the top of your head? Tell me about like making the book.
1: So the book, I didn't want it to just be a regurgitation of the episodes because that to me is to a degree lazy, but it's also not enough. It's accurate, but it's incomplete. I wanted the book to be both accurate and fully complete. So I wanted to to, to give people a ton of information. Let me submit this to you because this is something I've had a challenge with. We learn our history too young in America. We learn our history too young. Why do I say this? I was taught about the Civil War before I cared about the Civil War. Like, don't teach me about the Civil War when I'm 11 years old. And I can't even spell freaking whatever. Like, don't teach me about that stuff then. Like, don't teach me about the judicial system. Don't teach me about the three-fifths compromise. Don't teach me about things that have to do with my identity before I know my identity. I've never said that before. But I'm really having that, that, that moment of we learned so much stuff so young that we didn't, even, it didn't, we didn't digest it. So now when I was writing this book and researching more information, I was having those moments of, I forgot the grandfather's clause, prime example. Everybody knows the the term, the grandfather's clause, but we don't really know what it means. We don't remember what it means. And for those listening, when black people were disenfranchised, there were put those Jim Crow laws together that would try to limit black people from voting. And so they would make you take literacy tests in order to vote after slaves became free. You had a literacy test. The problem is black people couldn't read because they were slaves and you weren't allowed to read. But the problem was you were disenfranchising white people because some lower class white people couldn't read. So rather than adjusting and removing literacy tests, because that might have helped black people, we said, let's create the grandfather's clause. If your parents could vote, if your grandparents could vote, you can vote. Well, black people's grandparents could vote because of slavery. I don't care about that in fifth grade. I care about that as a 29-year-old. <laughs> like, that's when I care. And so when I was rereading all the information as I was writing this book, I was like, we have this notion in our head that history is boring, outside of a few history majors that are walking the earth that we all like, are like, oh, those super nerds. Like, no, 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 outside of like, we have this notion that history is boring when all you got to do is go watch the Hamilton musical and you'll be like, yo. History is kind of interesting. We just learn it too early. So I kind of tanned it and went all over the place. But I do think those listening will really feel that, And that when I was writing this, so much of the stuff is, is so interesting. The fact that black and white people couldn't be married 60 years ago. Like, that's so interesting. I think it's loving versus Virginia. Like, so much stuff is so interesting. And I'll end like this. You have to know your past to know your future. You have to know where you came from to know where you're going. And I think we have to do a better job of knowing where we came from.
0: You're absolutely right. And by the way, I was just helping my thirteen year old daughter study for an American history test. And I had to go through like all the things that happened, you know, around 1760s, 1750s. And I was like, huh, is that really what happened? Because when you get to be this age, and I'm 44, so this is even more embarrassing, like I learned it in school, but it hasn't really come up that much more since. And so all the details Mm -hmm. get a little foggy. But yes, I think knowing your history and also positioning, I mean, I think history needs a rebrand. I think we should just call history class, you know, amazing stories or, you know, something. Anyway, I Mm -hmm. totally agree with you. You need the context. I'm also curious about... I know so many people are watching you and listening to you and you're engaging people, everyone from police to like just so many people about things that they're unwilling perhaps to look at or haven't thought about before. But I'm wondering what you deep down believe is the potential for change. Do you think that the right people are listening? Do you think people can change? I mean, you asked that amazing question with the police when you said, do you think, you know, we'll ever get to a place where a young black child could look to a policeman in a as as someone who's a a safe haven and Mm -hmm. the question the answer was sort of up in the air like what do you think
1: we have to make incremental leap steps and then eventually bounds now here's what we have to understand the people that are on extreme sides my black brothers and sisters on extreme sides that are just i hate white people because of what they've done and what the history and i just will never forgive white people we got to move off that fence The white people on the extreme side of racism doesn't exist. Systemic racism doesn't exist. Black people just need to get over it. Black people, things have been equal for 50 years now. There's not a problem. Got to move off that fence. We all kind of got to get away from our sides and get towards the middle because the truth of anything lies in the middle. The truth of most arguments, that lies in the middle. It doesn't hover on extremes. So how can we move forward as a, as a country, as a world, as a nation? We have to have real dialogue. The biggest thing for me, Zibi, and it's the simplest, conversations. I was talking to the group of police officers, my latest episode, for those that are listening but haven't yet watched it. It's a group of 25 Petaluma police officers in Northern California and predominantly white. This is a population of 60,000. But that's less than 1% black. My first question I asked the, the officers was When's the last time you're at a, a dinner, a conversation with a group of black people? And two officers that I asked said, Honestly, Emmanuel, we never have. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing right with that either. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's malicious, but you have to understand if you're not going to expose yourself to a group of, of, of people that don't look like you, don't sound like you, aren't cultured like you are, then how do you expect to interact with them? And however you think you're interacting with them, how can you think you're interacting with them properly if you don't even know the them that you're interacting with? I went to an all boys preparatory school. I told you this, high school. I didn't have girls in my school from fifth grade to 12th grade. Didn't go to school with girls. Some perks to that, you know, you don't have to worry about wearing cologne and like looking good and all that (laughs) other stuff. But there's some negatives. When I got to college, I was like, there are girls here. Oh my, and there's some women here. What do I do? Right. I, I, I had to learn and relearn how to navigate, how to act, how to be, don't be so aggressive. Don't be so hostile. Don't be so curt. I had to learn some things because I hadn't been exposed on a daily basis to a large people group. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so that's really, I don't even remember the question you asked anymore, but nonetheless. That's okay, um, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, I think that's, that's what we have to do to become better as a nation is we have to just have real conversations.
0: So we'll get get rid of all boys' schools. That's the answer. No. <laughs> Basically, I worry my son's in an all boys school right now. And I'm like, what is he going to do? And he gets, you know, face to face with women. Like, do you feel like how do you like, do you feel like you were behind the other guys when you got to college or what?
1: Yeah, but it's a quick learning curve. <laughs> you know, and then, and then it also depends on like, I was still going to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. And so like, and, and I have two older sisters. So it's not like it was like a completely foreign species. Like, oh my God, brain malfunctioning. I see someone with longer hair. I don't know what to do. Like that didn't happen. <laughs> but it was, it was just different being in class. It's because now you got to figure out how to navigate differently. Just, it's just different. And I submit that it truly is the same thing with black and white people. Just because we're all people. No, Emmanuel Acho navigates differently around white people than he does around black people. He just does. And we just have to understand that and and, and move and navigate life accordingly. Wow.
0: So you must have written this book really quickly. How did you fit this in? And you already have a busy schedule. You're like hosting a show and you're, I mean, you're all
1: over the place. When did you do this? Well, I don't have a ton of fun right now. Um, I have a ton of work. I did it from the last two weeks of June to August, first two weeks of August. That was kind of like, hey, let's knock this out in six, seven weeks. That was before I was doing a lot of talking and public speaking. So in my free time, I would just start notating the stories, notating the concepts. Where do I want to go? Here's the thing, though. I realized the end of something before I ever started. What do I mean? 2015, I'm playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I got a direct message on Instagram from a fan. They'd be, hey, Emmanuel, if I get 2,000 retweets, will you go to prom with me? I saw right? That. I say, if you get 10,000, you got yourself a deal. I never thought it would happen. But here's what I also said. I said, may the odds be ever in your favor, a quote from the famous movie Hunger Games. And that's kind of how it was ended. Because I said, in the event that she gets these 10,000 retweets, I want there to be a cool story, a cool response. So I ended with that. Well, long story short, Elizabeth Banks, I think the lead star of Hunger Games, ends up retweeting the story. Because I had gone to the end before I ever got to the beginning. When I was getting thousands of emails after my episodes, I was favoriting the ones that were really good questions. Because I said, in the event this ever becomes a book, I want to use these questions in the book because I want to be able to talk to real people and answer real questions. And so it was easier to write because as I was always thinking about it, I always thought I don't want this to just be a moment of sizzle. I want it to be a moment of substance and books are more substance. Spoken word is sizzle. So I was always preparing for the potential end.
0: Interesting. Were there any questions you considered putting in the book or making an episode of your show and you felt like they were just too uncomfortable or like you just didn't want to go uh, there? Or maybe-
1: There are there is a lot of places. So the biggest place I don't want to go is politically. Some people are like, hey, Emmanuel, why don't you bring on somebody on the hard extreme end who doesn't even think racism exists? And then I submit this, to be, I say, I want to have an uncomfortable conversation, not an uncomfortable argument. You know, I don't want to sit up here and, if your mind was already closed, what am I going to do? I'm not here to bang on a door that's deadbolt locked. I'm there to knock on a door that's cracked open. And so if you're already closed minded, it's not going to do me any good. I'm not sitting here trying to get into a yelling match. Racism is real. Maybe if you were like, hey, Emmanuel, the earth is flat. I'd be like, OK, you're wrong, but you're entitled to a, your wrong opinion. People that are like systemic racism doesn't exist. Okay, you're wrong, but you're entitled to your own wrong opinion. Because we're not debating opinions. We're talking about facts. So I'm not going to get into an opinion-based debate over factual matters. So that's probably to answer the question, that, that what I've been asked most to do that I, just, that I just don't bother with.
0: So where is this whole thing going? I know it sort of started, you didn't plan it, you just responded emotionally, and then you put this enormously brilliant the whole thing together and it's already been expanding and oprah's been on your show and put you on her list and it, the book's going to just blow up i don't know when this is probably releasing right after the book so i'm sure by then it ha- will have already blown up where do you see this going like what is do you have a vision like are you going to be the president one day like where do you want this to go like how big what do you see like what's your what's your like secret hopes and dreams
1: yeah great question i think any answer would be too small right? If you would have asked me on May 30th or May 31st, I never would have told you that I would have got a call from Matthew McConaughey, Oprah Winfrey, and Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, all within a month and a half. Because my mind can't fathom the reach in which this could have. And nor do I want to. I I said this before, when I was a kid, you would lay like 100 dominoes, the black and white dominoes, and you'd push the first one in hopes that you would see a train of 100 dominoes fall. And it was just the coolest thing ever. The first domino, Zibby, didn't care about the 100th. It just cared about knocking over the second one. I'm not worried about the 200th or 100th domino. I'm just worried about the next episode. And I'm worried about the episode with the police officers. Then I'm worried about the next one. Then I'm worried about the next one because I just want to keep making pockets of change. Keep making pockets of change. And then I'll look up and be like, oh, Well, this is pretty cool. So many people will be like, Emmanuel, have you not stopped to celebrate? You're not super excited. I'm like, I don't have time. I got work to do. Now, I'm going to stop and look back one day and reflect. And I've had one waterworks, tear jerking, God, thank you so much moment. But I don't have time. I I don't have time to celebrate. Like I'll look back at the end and I'll be grateful that I was used as a vessel in the moment. But I don't have visions of where I want it to go I just want to keep staying focused and true to the moment because I think our society will benefit.
0: Did you feel like you had room for a calling before this happened? Do you know what I mean? Like I was looking at like your before Instagram and I'm like, well, what was he up to before? And like, you know, it's not like you were doing nothing. You were, you already had a whole, you know, singing and this, and that. but like this came in and clearly has like just ignited like every sense of you. Right. And you're, you're in yeah. it. You said earlier. So like, did you know there was room? Like, do other people, you know, is this going to just, can it just happen? Did you, did you long for something?
1: Can it just happen for other people?
0: I guess. Or, or just like, did you know that there was like something that you wanted to do to make meaning? And then this fell in your lap? Like, were you waiting for
1: something? In other words, I wasn't waiting for this. I was trying to create content around love shows and and create crazy type of entertaining content. It was never this, but let me answer your question. There is a difference between your career and your calling. And I think your career is what you're paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. Many people have heard that being said before. Your career is what you're paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. I think that my career is sports. I was focused on my career, but I was still attentive to my calling. Hmm. I got three calls from no caller ID numbers during the course of these uncomfortable conversations with a black man. The first one, Oscar award winner, Matthew McConaughey. He calls me, Acho, McConaughey here. I want to be a part of your second episode. Ma- Matthew McConaughey. The second call, Oprah Winfrey. Emmanuel, I love what you're doing. Would love to have a conversation, etc. The third one, Commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. Hey, Emmanuel, I just saw one of your episodes. I want to be a part of this conversation. I say that to say this. Your calling will call you. Pick it up. Love your it. calling will call you. Make sure you pick up. And so my calling called me. I wasn't really, I didn't dial any numbers. My calling just said, okay, Emmanuel, now's time. I didn't remember. I wasn't trying to do this alone. That's what people don't understand. I was trying to do this with anybody else, but I couldn't. But I just still knew I had to do it.
0: Last quick question. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors?
1: Man, that's a really, really, really good question. I think I have tons of advice, but let me lead with, to aspiring authors, I would say, stay true to yourself. Stay true to your intention. When I first talked to Oprah, the very first question she asked me, and she made it sound way more elegant than I will, but she said, Emmanuel, what is your intention? Because your intention will drive you. And I said, well, Oprah, number one, I want to change the world, and I actually believe I can. And number two, I want to be a catalyst for racial reconciliation through dialogue and conversations. So my intention is not to get a lot of Instagram followers. My intention is not to get a lot of clicks. My intention is not to get a lot of fame. My intention is to change the heart of at least one person or at least change and open their aperture of understanding. So to my authors, potential authors, stay true to your intention. Like don't be focused on selling the most books, selling the best book, sell the book that is truest to you. That is the best book. Whatever it is that your intention said, this is what I want to do. That is what you do. Everything else will come. Everything else will come. And lastly, there's a difference between success and significance. Pursue significance and success will come. Pursue success and you may miss both. But if you pursue significance, success will follow.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. This has been such a treat. I can't wait to watch your star continue to rise. And I'm so glad we got to spend some time together.
1: The pleasure was mine, my friend. Thank you.
0: All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. bye bye Thanks for Audible sponsoring this episode. Get your amazing deal $4.95 for six months, for your first six months for their holiday Audible Plus offer. Go to audible.com slash or text Zivi to 500-500. Thanks, Audible. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.